When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another off-season edition of the 66 to 87 podcast. I'm your moderator, Tom Reed, joined as always by Taylor Haas and Dave Molinari, and we will be joined a little bit later uh, by Penguins uh, team historian, de facto historian, Bob Grove. Always good to catch up with Grover. Uh, Fans know him for a long time as, as, as a, a sports writer and also uh, a post-game host on the radio show, on the Penguins radio broadcast. Did a lot of stuff pre and post-game, uh, so can't wait to hear from him. Probably talk a little bit about uh, the first Stanley Cup and some of the other ones this team has been fortunate over the years uh, to win. But we are actually getting close to a time, Penguin fans, uh, where there's news coming. And, of course, the draft – is coming very quickly. Uh, the, the 23rd, Dave? 23rd and 24th, is that correct? That's correct. The uh, round one will be the evening of the 23rd, and then the final six rounds will be on Saturday, the 24th. Virtually, this is going to be held virtually again? Yes. Okay. Uh, the reason I bring this up with Dave is because Dave wrote a, a piece the other day, kind of looking back at some of the, the history involving the Penguins and, and kind of the activity at, uh, at the draft. Of course, you know, the big thing about the draft is, is getting your stars for the future. But when we look at the Penguins situation, uh, they have a second round pick, a fifth round pick, and three seventh round picks. So uh, I thought today that what would be more interesting is uh, the other thing that always happens at the draft is you see a lot of trades. And if, if you read Dave's story, he laid out some, some, some deals that have been made over the years to acquire players or to let players go uh, with this franchise. And I want to ask you guys both. We'll start with you, Taylor. Is, you know, Ron Hextall, there wasn't a lot of chatter about him making very many moves to the trade deadline. He'd be, kind of be quiet. And boom, they go out and get Jeff Carter, who – Oh, by the way, happened to be their best player, I think, in the playoff series against the Islanders. Do you expect Hextall to try to be aggressive? And should he be aggressive uh, as at, at this draft? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say because so like he's in a position, I think we've, we mentioned before, where he's trying to rebuild and also kind of retool at the same time. Um, those two things don't normally go together, getting players in, getting picks. Um but, I mean, at the draft, something like I, I mentioned before, maybe moving out, you know, Marcus Pedersen, if he makes it, you know, past the Seattle expansion draft, um, four picks. They were just in, in, in part of a, a, a larger deal um, uh, to free up some, some of his salary and then, you know, open up a spot for P.O. Joseph. So that, that, P.O. Joseph, that, makes, that might be a place that they can do that at the draft. Um, I don't know what kind of return that would get if it would just be for him. But, um, I mean, what, they only have a second, a fifth, and three sevens. So <laughs> getting more picks in this draft would be would be nice. But then again, it's also not that strong of a draft class, given everything that happened in the last year. Dave, uh, 
should again taylor kind of lays out that the, the makes a very good point is there you know hexall is in this in, in this caught between two minds of of still trying to get whatever he can out of this window while knowing he's got to start at some point looking down down the road to the future and and adding to this pipeline do you expect him to be aggressive uh as we get ready for this draft well i mean there there's he can try to be as aggressive as he wants but you can't make a trade unilaterally you know you have to find a willing partner and i think that's going to be difficult uh for a number of reasons one i i i think a lot of trades tend to happen at the draft uh most years because you have a lot of face-to-face interaction between Mm -hmm. general managers you know a guy you're uh trying to negotiate a deal with might be sitting three tables away and if he's you know 10 tables away well there are telephones connecting every every table you know it's easy to set up a uh an in-person meeting and also, you know, a, a lot of teams are, are going to be uh, hamstrung with uh, salary cap issues, uh, you know, and so you might have a player who would appeal to another club that you'd be willing to part with, but they might not have the cap space needed to uh, to take on the contract. So, you know, I, I think he will be aggressive in looking uh, for deals but I don't know that that necessarily will translate to action. Plus, I mean, you have to remember, it's not as if he doesn't, uh, he can't make a, a trade if it isn't done by the close of business on the 24th. You know, your, your roster doesn't have to be set anytime soon. So, the, you know, there's still ample time uh, to make adjustments to it, you know, right up until the, the trade deadline, actually. Yeah, we're and we're going to talk about this in our second segment about the kind of a way too early look at at the division next year because it does go back to to what it used to be and and where they would be. It's and again, not to get too far ahead of ourselves in the segment, but I I don't Taylor, I don't go, I don't look at the Penguins going into this season like, oh my goodness, if they don't get a a a defenseman or a goaltender or a you know, forward one of those positions squared up, they're really in risk of missing the playoffs. To Dave's point, uh, they, they do seem to have time uh, to – this is a team that shouldn't just fall out of the playoff race the first couple of months if they don't add something. Yeah, I mean, looking at the roster from last season, a lot of those guys should be back. I mean, they're probably going to lose someone pretty – uh, good, a good depth piece to Seattle. Um, and they're going to have to make, you know, some decisions otherwise. But a lot of that roster still should return. And that roster, I think a, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people did count them out, at least, you know, for a playoff spot going into that season. And then, I mean, they <laughs> they won the division. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, you know, even with average goaltending in the first round, they at least would have made it out of the first round. So, I mean, yeah, there are, you know, positions they can't improve, you know, depth on defense uh, or forward or, you know, maybe get a, another, you know, number 1A1B goaltender. Um, but it's also not like a very pressing need that they need to do like before the season starts. Dave, is there any thought – the last time we – really the only time we heard of Jeff from Jeff Carter at the end of the year, he sounded extremely optimistic about – wanting to come back now who knows that may have been just in the uh 
just right after having a really good run here in Pittsburgh. Do you expect him to be back for his final season? Or at least final season under contract, I should say. Yes. I, I mean, I don't know that it would be his his final season in the league if he would play at anything close to the level he did after joining the Penguins. I mean, he was uh, a really good two-way contributor and, and seemed to like, you know, being part of, of this team. Obviously, a lot can change over the course of a year. But no, I, I mean, I fully expect him to to be in the in the league uh, in the coming season. The only way that I could see at this point that not being the case would be if the Penguins would expose him in, in the expansion draft. Uh, the Kraken would claim him, and Carter would decide that he doesn't want to spend a year with, a, uh, with an expansion team. Yeah. And going back and, to when he when he had traded, so I think he was only asked the one time. It was right after he got traded here. You know, is he going? Is there a chance he'd retire this off season? And he kind of laughed off the question. He said, "I will be playing next season." And that was when he first got here. And then looking at how he played since then, um, I don't. There's not a whole lot of doubt as if he is on the Penguins roster next year. I think. Right. So what, I, uh, remind me because I'm getting old with both of you guys. You guys are or are not protecting him uh, when we when we get to this, and maybe I, this is a better question for the next. Actually, let's let's hold off because let's 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 hold off on that because it is a part of our next segment. Uh, as as listeners know, that each each off season episode here on the sixty six to eighty seven podcast, uh, we go through a little bit of a player evaluation uh, period, and. Uh, this week's or this episode, I should say, uh, player evaluation brings us to John Marino. Uh, Marino, uh, two years ago or the season before, came in as a you know kind of a relative unknown. They they brought him in, acquired him in a, in a deal with Edmonton, and I thought he was you know a really terrific addition to the team. And obviously, Jim Rutherford did too because he he went out and re-signed him. Um, a decent year, Taylor. Uh, three goals, ten assists, thirteen points. I th- thought he started a little bit slow, but I, I thought he he, he you know, kind of showed what he's what he can do. Even though he kind of moved back from the second pair to the third pair. Yeah, I mean, he didn't have quite the same season he had. Um, you know, in his rookie season. So I don't know if you could call that a sophomore slump. I mean, his partner. Pedersen is Pedersen wasn't you know the strongest either and then when they did have that kind of you know rash of injuries he was on his offside for uh, I mean quite a while and I remember um him talking about I think I asked the question about you know just the challenges of playing on that offside and he did he did it's not something that he's all that used to um doing he I think he, he talked about it kind of being awkward you know uh playing the puck uh when it's you know along the boards if it's not on your side um, so, I mean, that, that's definitely a factor too. Uh, I mean, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't say he had a bad season, but it, it, it's a step back from the season before, but, um, it just, it would be interesting to see in his third season, if we get more of a rookie Marino or sophomore season Marino, uh, w- which one is close, what one he'll be closer to. You're getting a chance to hear the, the garbage truck roll by here in Columbus, Ohio. Sounds wonderful today. Dave, your, your thoughts on what you saw from Marino this year? Well, I, I mean, it certainly, uh, he did seem to suffer 
from the sophomore slump, which I don't know if that's a thing or not, but he certainly uh, regressed, especially in the early part of the season from, from the lofty standard that he set uh, when he was a rookie. But he seemed to get his game in order as the, as the season went along. Um, and I fully anticipate that what we see from him in the future will be more like uh, what we saw in his first year and will build on what we saw in his first year as opposed to what uh, happened during his second season. Uh, the interesting thing, I, I think, will be what happens if he has a new partner. Uh, you know, Marcus Pedersen seems like a, a good candidate to not be around next season, uh, whether he would be lost in the expansion draft or via a trade. And because Marino has spent most of his time in the league uh, alongside Pedersen, it will be interesting to see how he would adapt to a new partner, you know, and how long that, that adjustment would take. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting. I, I, I like the player. I, I do think there's an upside. Uh, I th- you see this, I think, more with, <clears throat> in some cases, with defensemen, uh, their second season uh, not being quite as good now. Of course, his old teammate, Adam Fox, uh, you know, sc- screws that up a penny a little bit having won the Norris, but I do like the player. I think he's got a bright future ahead of him, uh, and we'll, we'll see where this goes. Uh, where we're going is into a break, and we will be, when we come back, we'll hit the roundtable, uh, talk a little bit about the expansion Kraken, and kind of our thoughts on looking ahead toward next season already in the old uh, Metropolitan Division. Stick with us in the 66 to 87 podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back to the 66 to 87 podcast. Um, We ended the last segment, and I I kind of, here's the garbage truck. We're making a second pass here. Um, we ended the last segment or mentioning a little bit about the, the Kraken. Uh, obviously, that's one of the, the big stories in the next couple of weeks, the Kraken getting started. 
uh, every team will be losing a player. And um, I wanted to, I wanted to re- refresh our listeners of your thoughts on Jeff Carter, what you would do with Jeff Carter. Would you protect him or would you not protect him, Taylor? Well, uh, at this point, I would say no. Um, we've talked before. I, his age and you know his contract, it's not that doesn't make it a given that he wouldn't be taken. There are a couple of reasons why a team would take him, um, why Seattle would take him, his, you know, experience. He could help establish that culture early on. Uh, if they do end up being a contender, he's definitely a valuable piece to have. If they don't end up being a contender, you can flip him before the deadline for, you know, picks and prospects. He's still a really good asset. So, um, but I would take the, just looking at the other pieces they have who are younger, I would take the gamble and expose Carter um, in order to protect. I can't even remember who's on my list still, but, um, you know, Crosby, Malkin, Rust, Gensel, Kapanen, and those are, you know, the five given. And then it comes kind of down to those last two spots. Right now I'd give it to McCann and Tanev. Uh, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't take out either of those guys for Carter. So that's where I'm at right now. Dave, you always mention when we talk about this is that, uh, you know, we have no idea what's going to happen with the other 30 teams or 29 teams that are, that are going to be involved here. So, uh, but are you are you along the lines with Taylor in the sense that that he's he's so he's older a player that you don't think you'd have to protect? And as you mentioned in kind of the last segment, maybe he would end up just saying, "I'm not. I'm. I'm. I, I'm going to retire if if I'm going to Seattle." Well, and he could make that threat to Seattle before the draft to kind of yeah. insulate himself from from being chosen. Um, I too would not protect him. Uh, my inclination would probably be to uh, protect Bluger over McCann, but that's a toss-up. I mean, you can make a con- compelling argument either way, and I, I would certainly protect either of those two ahead of Carter. It's not to downplay, you know, what he did uh, last season here or, more importantly, what he could uh, reasonably be expected to contribute next season. But, you know, I think if you're, uh, you know, that that it's a worthwhile gamble to expose him because I think that there probably are more reasons for Seattle to shy away from him than, than to be attracted to him. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with both you guys. Um, the other point on this is, uh, and we've kind of touched on this briefly in, in the past, when Vegas came into the league a couple of years ago, not only did they get really good players from around the league, but then they cut side deals. In other words, teams, uh, including the Penguins, set to kind of steer – uh, the Golden Knights toward a player and away from another player. And, of course, the Penguins were in this situation where they were coming off back-to-back cups. Uh, both Marc-Andre Fleury and uh, Matt Murray were part of them, although Murray ended up being the guy that would would, would lead them to both cups. Uh, I believe, if I'm correct here, the, the Penguins ended up giving us up a second-round draft pick. Is that true? That is correct. Yeah. To, to basically kind of guide them away from Murray. And then, of course, we see what happens. Flory goes on and has a, a terrific run in Vegas. Uh, you know, right now, uh, 
capped with winning the Vezina Trophy, uh, which, of course, was uh, applauded everywhere except in Nikita Kucherov's postgame remarks at the Stanley Cup. Uh, but Dave, uh, do would, do you expect the Penguins to kind of let Seattle take whoever they want this year, or do you think that they would add a sweetener to try to guide uh, them away from maybe a Brandon Tanev or a you know a certain player uh, like Hey, don't take this guy. We'll give you a third round pick or whatever. Or do you think they just say, "Have at it"? I do not expect the Penguins to do anything like that. Frankly, I don't know that they're in a position to be giving away any of the few assets that that they do have. But I have to admit, I've been surprised by how many teams around the league apparently are considering uh, doing things like that. Um, You know, you, you would think that they would have learned from the Vegas experience four years ago that it really can be counterproductive. I mean, I believe in uh, your experience in Columbus. Uh, William Carlson ended up in oh. Vegas. Uh, you know, it just you would think that the GMs who did things like that, you know, aren't aren't going to be interested in repeating it. But apparently, there are, are at least a few who are giving it uh, serious consideration. Well, that was. What happened there? Now, now, in fairness to Columbus on that one, they had no idea. William, nobody had any idea. William Car- William Carlson may not have had any idea he could score forty goals. Uh, but what they did there is they gave up. They gave up a maybe a first round pick or a high second round pick, which they may have. They gave up a lot to keep Josh Anderson, who of course <laughs> just played in the Stanley Cup Finals with Montreal. So yes, uh, that stuff can happen. Dave, where are you on TANF? Protect or no protect? Oh, protect. Yeah, I, I mean, he, yeah, absolutely. Okay. I think he's a driving force on this team, and you you don't measure his contribution solely by his statistics or anything like that. He, I think he's much more important than, than the numbers show. Yeah. Taylor, are you, you're protecting him as well? TANF, um, what did I just say? I, I think I said, yeah. I would well, I don't think it. you mentioned Tanif. You you had gotten to like number four or five and then kind of petered out. Yeah, no, Tanev, um, yeah, the first five I think are obvious. And then my last two are McCann and Tanev. Um, so, yeah, exposing Carter, taking that gamble. And then Bluger, that's tough. But, I I mean, he can play center. I mean, he's a center. Freddie Goodrow can play center. So if they do bring Freddie Goodrow back. And then they have other guys coming up uh, who can play center in Zahorna if he's back, um, O'Connor. So I would that's another gamble I would take. But I think I would I would lean towards protecting Tanev over Bluger at this point, but um, it's kind of a toss up. Now I'm with you I'm with you. I, uh, both of you guys we, we talk on this on our show and everyone mentions this about the, the penguins needing to get a little bit more gritty and to lose that guy. To me, would yeah. be like okay, we're we we just got done saying as the general manager and the president of hockey operations, this team needs to get bigger, get a little harder to play against. Uh, if you leave him exposed, uh, I think there's a good chance he gets taken. As we get closer here, are you guys starting to think that Teddy Bluger's days in Pittsburgh could be numbered? I would, yeah. I, I mean, looking okay, at. Yeah, at least my list, um, 
who I who I would have exposed. I think Bluger is a guy who would be, I mean, super appealing to uh, to Seattle, especially given how young he is. So, um, I mean, if that ends up being the protected list, if if he is exposed, um, maybe I would. Yeah, he he would be uh, who I would think they would lose, given who I protected on on my list. Dave, again, knowing that 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 they that that that, that Ron Francis has can find maybe 25 other Teddy Blugers somewhere in the, in, in this, in, uh, in the draft picks or in the, in the expansion draft. But do you think that he would be a, if you're, if you're Francis, you'd look at that guy and say, that's a nice little piece there uh, to kind of build around, not build around, but to add. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the qualities of his game that were just cited are the, are the reasons that he would be on my protected list. Um, yeah. I don't think there are going to be 25 other Teddy Blugers available to, to Seattle. You know, I, he's not a, uh, a franchise cornerstone by any means, but I think he's a very nice complimentary piece yeah. who still has some untapped potential. I think uh, there, there's more to his offensive game that, than has uh, been evident to this point. And he, I mean, he's already established his defensive credentials. You know, I, I don't know that he will ever develop into a top six forward on, on a good team, but he certainly, I have no issues at all with, with playing him in, in a third line role. It is so odd that you would bring up William Carlson's name in this segment. Uh, and we, you know, sometimes we do a script our questions and we have an idea of what, what our guests are going to say. Carlson was, is a much quicker skater than Teddy Bluger. Uh, but he, he does what you just said. I, it wouldn't shock me if, if he went to Seattle and if he got a little bit more responsibility. And I, mean, I don't see 40 goals in his future. But I could see Bluger adding more to his offensive game. I agree with you. And that's going to be interesting to me. That's the, that's the name that I, I, I think of as, as maybe a guy that, that if he is exposed, if he's left out there, um, he could actually play pretty well for, for Seattle. Um, you know, the other topic, one of the other topics we want to talk about in this segment is uh, now that this, the cup has been won and we kind of getting back uh, to ready for talking about next season. One of the changes uh, we'll be going back to the old Metro Metropolitan Division, and what what that entails is Carolina is coming in, uh, Columbus is coming in. Uh, say goodbye to Buffalo and Boston. And when you when you look at the that uh, that division, gang, where do you see the Penguins? Again, this is way early. We we don't know who's going to be on the final rosters to start the season, but it's, it's always kind of a fun topic to, when you look at this to see right now where you where do you see the Penguins, Taylor, in, 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 the, in, the, in the new old division? I mean, it's hard to say. Even, I mean, this season, it, things, that division was just so tight. I think, you know, looking at this past season, I would have expected the Rangers and, and probably the Flyers to be better um, than they ended up being, I think. Like for like for the Flyers, uh, if Carter Hart, you know, if he can just get it together, I mean, that makes that division just that much tougher. Um, yeah, it, it's hard to, losing Buffalo in the division. That's 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 hard um, to have a team like that. Uh, that, that was some easy points for for teams this season. I, so I I don't know what where I would have the Penguins 
ranked. It's so hard to say. Moves are going to be made because of the salary cap. Guys are going to be lost because of you know the uh, the expansion draft. So uh, I, I it's I think it's too early to say where where they'd finish, but I think it's going to be a, a tight division, a tough division. Dave, uh, what do you see? Where do you see this team finishing? Given what we know of Carolina and Columbus, uh, rebuilding Columbus, I should say. I see them as uh, one of about six bubble teams <laughs> where uh, the order of finish is going to be dictated by things that we can't envision now, like injuries, uh, you know, slumps to key contributors. Uh, you know, there are just, uh, you know, the variables that, that can't necessarily be, uh, you know, of which the specifics can't be anticipated. I think are are going to be decisive here. I you know I don't see the Blue Jackets being a factor in the playoff race, and I don't know that New Jersey is quite ready to be. Although I think it has the potential to be a spoiler for some teams, but I could really see any of the other six getting in or being left out. With the the possible exception of Carolina, I I think they might be the closest thing to a to a sure bet in, in the division, but, uh, you know, I, I expect it to be, you know, ultra competitive, you know, even more so than it was this year with, uh, you know, a half dozen teams finishing within a few points of one another. Yeah. I, I tend to agree with that. I, I, I agree with Carolina too. I think Carolina is still very good. It'll be uh, one team. It'll be interesting to see what their off season brings is the New York Islanders. Uh, they've got some some guys, some either guys coming up on unrestricted free agency or restricted free agency that have to be resigned, uh, and they're like everybody else seemingly in the world. They are up against the cap. Uh, another team, and Washington is, I think, in the same kind of boat as Pittsburgh. Their window, if it's not closed, it is closing, and boy, did they have a really bad ending to a season did not seem to have a goaltender uh, for that love <laughs> forget the future but 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 even last season that goaltending really bit them and what happens with Philadelphia I like Pittsburgh I think they're still right there uh, but I think the way you described it as six bubble teams is 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 pretty good Taylor any last thoughts on on on, on the division and if, if Pittsburgh is a bubble team or you think they're gonna uh, can they repeat Winning the division? Yeah, I, I think winning the division. I, I, I wouldn't mark them down for winning the division. I think they'll at least be in the, in the playoffs. I don't know. At least, God, at least they aren't Edmonton. Y'all just see what just happened. The, the, the Oilers got Duncan Keith from the Blackhawks for Caleb Jones in a third-round pick. If that's what the trademark is like this offseason, that, uh, <laughs> that's rough. <laughs> so that's the first Jones brother to move. Uh, the second one probably – uh, Caleb's brother probably is going to move at some point uh, this summer out of Columbus. Um, last topic: uh, what we, we, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had we had John Forslund on, on the show, and and John is uh, especially this past season was commonly paired with Pierre Maguire, the former uh, Penguins assistant coach during the the early Cup years. Um, today or yesterday, named as the New the Ottawa Senators' uh, new vice president of player development, and I'm not sure in the years that I have followed hockey as far as the broadcasting side. And Pierre 
you know, spent, it seemed like forever. Pierre did, did all, like most of the years on the NBCSN uh, broadcast, a, a guy that was more polarizing. And I kind of liked him. I thought he was quirky. He, he, he seemed to know where everyone went to high school or college. Uh, there were, t- there were times it, it got to be a little bit too much, but I also know Taylor, Pierre Maguire seemed to have an issue with analytics or in, he certainly wasn't afraid to mention analytics and why it's, it seems to be overblown. Uh, you want to get your thoughts on, on Pierre? I, I, yeah, I don't know. You, you call him polarizing. I think to be polarizing, you do have to be liked. I know you just said you liked him. <laughs> like, I, I, you, like I, it's, there's really not two sides to Pierre. I don't see a whole lot of people on social media in the comments talking how much they, they like Pierre, but I mean, you mentioned the analytics thing. It, it, you talk about, you know, Pierre not liking analytics. I think he just doesn't understand analytics. I think he he hasn't taken time to really learn about it, and it, it scares him. I think uh, people like that, they don't like – I mean, analytics, it's just more information. No one's saying, like, you know, this is where we're getting everything now. Like, of course you have to watch the games too, but um, analytics do tell you a lot, and I think people like that, like, don't like, you know, just, like, the common – fan blogger, you know, having that kind of uh, access to stuff like this. I, and I also, I, I don't like, I, he has to know this, that like, and when we talk, when people talk about analytics and teams using analytics, it's not like Corsi Fenwick, the stuff that we have access to, like teams have their own like proprietary stuff um, that we just don't know what they're using. And that's kind of how they make their decisions. And I, it, it just seems like he doesn't understand it. But I mean, it, looking back at the, these playoffs, especially, you know, like the the, uh, the first round Penguins matchup against the Islanders, just the stuff he'd say, it's like he thinks that th- some of the stuff he'd say, it's, it, it's like he doesn't even understand like the basic analytics, you know, it, anytime the fourth, the Penguins fourth line did something good. He'd spout off about how, like, oh, analytics can't measure that, or you know, the, that what they do, they can't be measured by analytics. The fourth line is very good, and they have consistently good analytics as a result. Like some of those games, you know, uh, their Corsi four, the relative Corsi four is the highest one on the team. Um, it, it's like uh, Tanev scored a goal in one of those games, and he's like, "There's no analytic number for that." Are it goals? Are we not counting goals now? It, it just. I, I don't understand, like, uh, and his hate for analytics because he doesn't understand it. And then for him to, I mean, we're talking about him now because he's he got hired by the Senators. I think if, if that's kind of your viewpoint, I, I, I don't know how I, I, teams are moving towards, like, stuff like that. You have to, you know, consider analytics. So I don't know how, how good Pierre is going to be in this new role with the Senators. Um, Dave, I, uh, Dave, I thought you were supposed to be the irascible one on this on, on this panel. Um, gee, I'm not sure how you would have come to that conclusion. But, <laughs> I mean, I, uh, you know, I've known McGuire for more than 20 years, 30 years. Uh, you know, going back to his days as a scout with the Penguins, and I like him very much on a personal level, and I don't really care what he thinks about anything on a professional level, though. Um, you know, he's entitled to his opinions about the analytics, just as all of us are. Um, you know, I'm I'm not going to lose any sleep one way or the other over over how he feels about them. I will say I think it's a great hiring because it ensures that we won't hear him on TV saying these kinds of things anymore. 
But I mean, <laughs> when when we talked off the air about you know bringing up Pierre on this segment, I did bring up the article from the Hartford uh, newspaper after he got fired in as head coach of the Whalers in 1994. And one of the lines in the beginning is, um, "In 15 years covering the NHL, we had never seen a coach so universally disrespected and disliked within his own organization." I think my I we, I think we had have talked about it before, but my favorite Pierre story from when he was in. Hartford was when, because um, I mean, he was with the Penguins before, and he knew Yager sometimes used an illegal stick, um, and it was a, uh, it was towards the end of a game, um, and he he challenged the game. I think it was tied, or either they were. Dave, you might know this story better, but um, uh, or the Whalers needed a goal, and no, I think it was tied, and then he challenged for the for the legal stick. Yager was using the legal stick. Yager went to the box. Um, oh yeah, so this was yeah, I remember now. And I think it was an overtime. Yager came out of the box, scored the game winner. But I mean, after, if you look up like Yager's quotes from after that, he said that that was the most important goal of his career because I think he called Pierre a know-it-all and because he shut him up. So um, I, I'll side with Yager on this. I don't think he's ever been wrong before. But if Yager doesn't like Pierre that much, I mean, uh, he 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 can't be wrong. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's, uh, again, that was uh, terrific stuff from Taylor. Again, taking the role of Dave today is, is uh, getting a little temperamental on a subject. Poor Pierre. I will say I met Pierre a couple times as a fan, and he was very nice. <laughs> I, I took pictures with him. Well, you know, Taylor, this is not just being heard in Columbus. Poor Pierre is going to hear about this. You know, the, the 66 to 87 podcast is worldwide, so this will probably be <laughs> – this will probably be on headlines here shortly. Taylor Haas and her hatred for Pierre Maguire. When we come back, uh, a, a guy that everybody loves. I hope Taylor loves him too. Penguins historian Bob Grove will join us. Seven podcast. Welcome back to the sixty-six to eighty-seven podcast, uh, and as promised. Uh, the great Bob Grove, team historian, uh, fans remember his, his writing, of course, uh, for a long time in the Washington Observer. Uh, certainly fans, fans of Penguins Radio remember his work pregame, postgame. Always appears everywhere. You can, you can hear him just about on any really good hockey uh, outlet here in Pittsburgh. He, he's always in demand and I'm glad he took some time for us today. Bob, one of the th- things I that when we talked about a month or two ago that struck me and it, it really it really kind of hit me after the fact is uh, our the, the name of this podcast is sixty six to eighty seven, which is obviously a reference, an homage uh, to Mario Lemieux to Sidney Crosby. And you mentioned what's amazing about this period from the time that he was that Lemieux was drafted up into the current time. Is there have only really been three or four years where you thought, "Oh, this team's not very good," and I don't don't know where their where their future is. Otherwise, they've just been winning Stanley Cups or seemingly on the verge of winning Stanley Cups or at least being in the playoffs. Could you imagine growing up as a kid that they would ever have such a run? Well, it's great to be on with you, Tom. Thanks for asking me. And uh, no, absolutely not. Um, you know, as a fan, you know, back when I was a kid, it was um, it was a major accomplishment to get into the playoffs, let alone win a playoff series. And I told you the story about, you know, when, when George Ferguson scored to beat Buffalo 
Um, you know, what an incredible thing that was. Um, you know, when the Penguins got into the 72 playoffs on the last night of the season, you, you thought you were on top of the world the way they did it so dramatically. Um, and it, it, the Stanley Cup seemed so, so far away for the fans and the people who sat around me. I had season tickets for a couple of years. Um, and, you know, we always wondered, you know, when are we going to get the superstar? When are we going to get the guy who can get us to a, to a different level? And little did we know that once we hit 1984, uh, our fran- you know, the franchise would basically almost always have the superstar presence in the lineup. So it's we went from um, the bottom of, of expectations to the top and stayed there. It's been an amazing run. Yeah. Uh, one of the other things that stuck with me, especially after the way the season ended, was one of my favorite comments that you made to me. And I think we were both – semi-optimistic about the the Penguins' chances of maybe getting out of the first round. But you said, and and as a true historian, the Islanders are the Penguins' kryptonite. (laughs) Why is that? Why why does this team, and I'm not talking about the years where they were a dynasty with Bossy and Potvin, why does this team keep jumping up and biting the Penguins? Well, you know, it's glad I'm glad you said it like that because, you know, when you think about all the playoff losses to the New York Islanders, you know, when you go back to uh, when you go back to 1982, that's totally understandable because, you know, had the Penguins actually figured out a way to play those last six minutes and keep the lead they had, that would have been the greatest upset in their history and it still would be so today. And so no one expected that. And of course, it didn't come to pass. And um, that team won four Stanley Cups, so no issue there. But when I think about the more recent go rounds with the New York Islanders, um, when you think about the 93 playoffs, um, it's it's the same sort of thing. It's like, you know, remember, they lost Pierre Turgeon uh, until game seven, and he barely played in game seven. And, and I can remember watching Pierre Turgeon take that hit from Hunter in, at the end of the previous round. And I sure. said to myself, yeah, when I said when, when that happened, I said to myself, the Penguins are going to win this series in three games because they just there was no chance they, the islanders had no chance almost to begin with and they just lost their best player how did they survive they survived on the gritty determination of look, good goaltending for sure but but you know the gritty determination of guys up and down their lineup and that hasn't changed when i think about the new york islanders and the way they've beaten penguins in recent series it's been this is a team that has an identity it's not your identity they can't score at will they have to work really, really hard to create everything. And while the Pittsburgh teams have been able to work really, really hard at times, they don't have to do it as consistently as these Islander teams have done it. They're just used to playing like that. And, you know, the only downside for a team like that is what you saw in the last few games of the third round this year when the Islanders just couldn't buy a goal because they didn't have enough creativity. And that's what's keeping them from a Stanley Cup. But they've got everything else. And so for me – when I think about Penguins versus Islanders, it's skill versus determination. Yeah. Taylor? I mean, yeah, Bob, Tom mentioned your work as a historian. I think for fans that follow you on, on Twitter, what stands out is the stats you pull out. I feel like, you know, if I ask, you know, like, what's the Penguins record on Tuesday nights when there's a full moon, you could come back with, you know, the answer in, in a pretty short amount of time. Just what is the process for pulling out some of these uh, stats uh, you, you put out on Twitter? Well, you know, I thank you for that, Taylor. And, um, you know, I, I, I keep a lot of spreadsheets over the years that, I, that I've started. So it's really just a, it's a case of updating them all. And so 
you know, I've got a lot of separate spreadsheets for Crosby and Malkin and Mario and Yager and some individual players and all the Penguins number, you know, the, the recent number one goaltenders. But I just keep a lot of information about every single game in my own spreadsheet. So I know when people are asking a question, I know how I can quickly uh, go find an answer um, without, you know, going. Some of this, a lot of this stuff is available on NHL.com. I mean, that's where I get it. You know, that's where I take the summaries. But what I do is I, I plug it into my own my own charts um and i've got as tom knows I, I showed him a few when he when we got together recently there's there's a lot of them um there's probably too many of them so uh, it's really a question of me having the ability to um track what i think is important and then i know where i keep it and then i know how i can um and making it as whole as i can and in, in other words going all the way back to 1967 and so that, that's really what it's about for me. It's about inputting a lot of data after every single game. And then, you know, in the off season, um, I create a project for myself, um, something that during the course of the season, if I once or twice say to myself, yeah, you know, again, here's something I wish I knew. I wish I had the information and I should, I should go and get it. And so uh, my project this summer is I'm looking at every five game points scoring streak that any player in team history has had, whether it's points, goals, or assists. It has to be a minimum of five games. And so I'm making a spreadsheet of those. So if you say, you know, how many five-game scoring streaks has Sidney Crosby had in his career, I'll be able to tell you with just a click of the filter. Um, but I want to go all the way back to 67. So what this means is I got to go back to the game-by-game sets for every single player in every single year. Uh, and I'm doing that on NHL.com, and it's going to take me most of the summer, but I'll get there. And that's an example of, so that's something I could look up myself have, if I had never done that, but it's just something that interests me. And, you know, now I can go call it up in a, in a matter of seconds rather than spending 15 minutes trying to figure it out. What are some of the other uh, summer projects you've done? Like, what did you do that last offseason? Oh, well, I, you know, I, I've lost track of how many because I do try to keep the, the big ones um, for the summertime when they're really time consuming. I remember recently I did, um, you know, I did one on Gordie Howe hat tricks. So all the Gordie Howe hat tricks in Penguins history. And that's not, you know, that's not something you can. There's no website you can go that I know of. that You can go find that information. Yeah. You know, you have, to, you have to basically go through every game summary um, and you have to say, OK, the way I did it was let's look and see who had a fight and a goal in a game because you now you've narrowed it down, you know, and I can filter them out and I can say, okay, here's, you know, if you had a goal and an assist, that means the Penguins had to have at least two goals in the game. So I can take every, um, you know, every game that had one or zero goals for and I can eliminate it. So that gets rid of a few hundred anyway and um, go from there. And so um, that was that was really pretty time consuming for me to do. That's another example of a, of a, a summer project that um, was interesting. And yeah, I cursed myself a little bit uh, as I was midway through because it was taking so long. Yeah. Um, that's what, unfortunately, that's what happens to me is when I, I get a bug about finding something out, uh, I know that I'm going to succumb to that. I'm, I'm actually going to start doing it, even though as I go into it, I know this is going to be more time consuming than even I thought it was going to be. Yeah. Dave? Dave? Okay, sorry about that, guys. Grover, uh, really old guys like you grew up at a time when baseball and football were the sports in Western Pennsylvania. 
How did you get attracted to hockey in the first place? Yeah, it's uh, great to talk with you, uh, Dave, as always. Um, you know, it was really, you know, and I, I, I'd relayed this to Tom as well uh, earlier. Um, you know, back when I was uh, 10 or 11 years old, I remember seeing highlights of the Penguins-Oakland playoff series from 1970 uh, on TV. Um, and it just kind of caught my attention. I wasn't watching the sports for that reason. Um, I was doing something else, actually, and it came on the screen. And I thought, wow, you know, this game is so fast and it looks so interesting. And I said to my parents, you know, I would really like to have tickets to go to a game next season. And that's what I got. That was my Christmas gift um, uh, for, the, for the Christmas of 1970. And um, the day after Christmas, I went to my first game. And as you know, Dave, you've heard this story and, and probably applies to you as well for many people. Once you go to your first game, um, you're probably going to get you're, you're going to get bit by the bug in a way that it never leaves you. And that's what happened to me. So I it was then that I started following the team and listening to the games on the radio and bugging to go to every game, you know, you know, as many as many as I could. Um, with my parents. So it certainly wasn't, I didn't learn it from anybody in the environment. As you said, I grew up, I was a huge baseball fan, loved the Pirates, played a lot of baseball, played all the sports like kids did, you know, in the backyard and you, you played in grade school, et cetera, never played hockey, never played street hockey until after that. Uh, but we played a lot of street hockey in high school. So um, once I, once I got to the first game, um, I was hooked. As you noted, you've uh, seen a few games since that first one. Uh, let me put you on the spot here and ask you, what do you see as the high point of the franchise? And what what was the lowest point that, that, that you witnessed? Wow, those are good questions. Um, I, I'll tell you what, my high point, um, my high point for me um, is an easy one. And that's um, the 10-4 win over the Rangers. Um, I think it was in April of 93 when Mario had eight points. You got the standing ovation from the MSG crowd. Um, the Penguins were two-time defending cup champions. Mario had come back and put up numbers that were almost incomprehensible, to be honest with you. And um, that game there, and remember, that was a good Rangers team. That was a good Rangers team. And um, that game there, I just felt like I just can't see this team losing in the playoffs, in the upcoming playoffs, which of course they did. But at that point, they were two-time Stanley Cup champions and they had just destroyed the Rangers on home ice. Mario looked twice as unstoppable as he normally was. And I just felt at that at the end of that particular game, I don't think the Penguins had ever been a more dominant team um, than they were at, at, the, at that particular point, you know, to be honest with you. Um, as far as the low points go, well, I mean, you know, the low points were, you know, you're the worst team in the National Hockey League. So, you you, you know, you want to go back to what that what, what that looked like in 81, 82, 82, 83, 83, 84, especially um, when all the fans you knew, um, they just couldn't comprehend how, how this team could be so, so bad. Um, and, and they were. And it was it, for me, those teams were even much worse than if you go back to kind of the 0304, 02-03 time frame. Those weren't very good teams either. Um, but those those teams in the early 80s, um, after EGA had come in, and, you know, they had been decently competitive in, you know, 81, 82. Obviously, we talked about the Islander series. But, boy, it just went south after that, and there just seemed to be no hope whatsoever. The front office kept changing. 
And they're just, and there was the, the, always the nagging, you know, talk about the ownership and what was going to happen and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I, I can still remember DeBarlow having that, um, that fundraiser for action member ASAP action for the spirit and pens. And it was basically like the is saying, you know, the community has got to deliver or else, you know, I, I can't even, even, even I can't lose money at this rate, uh, that we're losing it going forward. So, uh, those were the low points for me, even even lower than, you know, some of the cr- crushing for fans playoff losses that they've had. Uh, Bob, we'll get a chat here on two, two questions, one from the past and one from the one for the future. The one from the past, uh, we've, we've been talking a little bit on the show. This has kind of been an anniversary year, uh, both for the. Uh, the, the the 2016 Penguins, but also the 91 Penguins, the 91 Penguins that that win the cup. Uh, it's just you're saying like eight, nine years after where the team was, is as bleak as the future ever looked. Uh, take us back to, to Minnesota and game six and the eight nothing win. And for someone who's covering the team, but also grew up as the kid listening to the games in the radio, what would, what must that have been like for you that night? Well, it was an incredible it was an incredible experience, and and, and I did you know I had the I had my phone in the press box, and we could only dream about cell phones at, at that particular time, right? So, uh, and, and I, I I talked to a few of my friends, some of the, the, the kids who had gone had been season ticket holders with me at the time. Um, in between periods, when I had a couple of minutes, I made a couple of brief phone calls, and they all had the same reaction: like, is this actually really happening to us? Um, you know, and that team, um, I, I think for many, for many Pittsburgh fans at that point, even as that team was going through the playoffs, there was still a little piece of you that was wondering if, if, if somehow things were going to go wrong because you couldn't possibly see the Penguins winning the Stanley Cup. It just seemed like it, like I said earlier, it was, it was so far off. Um, but even as they went through the playoffs, you just weren't sure if they, if this, if that group could bring it home and um we should have known better because that that group didn't if you think back on it didn't look like they were ever not going to get it done in that playoff year but that was an amazing experience and to see how the fans reacted you know i was lucky to be you know in minnesota for that but to see how the fans uh, reacted that night at the airport and to watch the films of it is just it just put a chill up my spine to be honest with you the yeah. thing penguins could get that many people to get that emotional like they were that night, you know, and I, I wish I could have been there for, yeah. for the, to, to see that with my own eyes for sure. Um, get you out on, on, on just now, you know, you, you've, we've talked about all these great times, this run here, how much do they have left, Bob? Does, is there another, is there one last cup run with this group right now? Or uh, where is the window as, as far as your eyes, as, as far as, it's obviously coming down, but is it shut or is there there's still chance for one more kick at the can? Well, it's not shut for me, but it's pretty close to being shut. And I think that's just just look, you know, Sid and Gino, uh, Latang, they can only play at these levels for so long. And then, you know, as as they get older, their their levels come down a little bit. We've seen that. I think Latang had an excellent year. Sid had an excellent year. You know, Gino had a rough year and got off to a rough start. And then, of course, the injuries and everything else. But um, for me, the part of the equation is and the, the reason I say the window is still a little bit open is this. They, those three guys and some of the others, like Gensel, who for me is an incredible 
goal scoring talent, just absolutely. Um, they have the ability um, to, they have creative ability, they have ability to score. It's just a question of the surrounding cast. As these guys at the core of the Penguins have gotten older, for me, the supporting cast every year has to get better if they're ever going to make one long run, one more. And that hasn't happened yet. You know, it's it's been okay, obviously. Look at their regular season performances. But it's not good enough for the long run when you can't even get out of the first round of the playoffs the first three years. You need people who can have an impact, more of an impact than they've had recently to surround those guys. And now you have the goaltending question on top of everything else. So it's still open. But for me, it's just barely open. Yeah. Well, Bob, thank you so much for taking time. Uh, as, as Taylor uh, smartly alluded to, uh, if you're a Penguins fan and you're not following Bob Grove on Twitter, I mean, there is just a treasure trove of information. Uh, I can remember talking to him a couple months ago and then just going back and just scrolling through his, his timeline and finding all these incredible, neat little nuggets. Uh, thank you for spending some time with us, Bob. And also, uh, thanks, fans, for listening. Uh, for Taylor Haas and for Dave Molinari, uh, this is Tom Reed. We'll see you later in the week on the 66 to 87 podcast.